So hi everyone and welcome back to the Reading Materials podcast. My name is Lucia and I'm joined by my two friends Jess and Maria and we are making our way through the A Court of Thorns and Roses series by Sarah J. Mass. And today we will be starting our discussion of the third book, which is A Court of Wings and Ruin. So this episode will contain spoilers for chapters 1 to 20 of the third book, A Court of Wings and Ruin. So if you don't want to listen to those, maybe stop now. And then Maria, can you just remind us what happened in the first two books up to this point? Yeah, so in the first two books up to this point, we met our main character, Farah, who was transported into the magical land of Prithian, which is full of fae. And she met High Lords there, so Tamlin is the main one, and basically helped set this land free from a, a horrible foreign invasion force. And then uh, gradually through the second book, we saw Farah realize that her initial people that she'd met in this land were not actually very good. And so she moved to what is an enemy court. And then through various fights in the later part of the second book, she's now found herself sneaking back into the original court that she settled in. And this time we assume as a spy. So that was where we left off on that cliffhanger. Mm -hmm. Perfect. So once again, we've kind of pulled together a list of talking points that we want to get through this episode. So we're going to try and keep it quite, you know, concise. So I'm going to start us off, if that's okay with you, with immediately with the prologue mm -hmm. and I'm curious what you think and why you think it was even included because so far the first two books were f almost completely from Feyre's point of view there was just one chapter from Rhysand's point of view at the end of A Court of Mist and Fury but we start off this book with another Rhysand POV and it's a flashback to almost more than 500 years ago to the war that happened and it's of Rhysand going through the this massacre that had happened on the fields and he's going through all the bodies trying to see if he if any of his friends are amongst the victims so i'm curious why do you think she included that at all and why so early i think maybe the the because it is quite jarring it comes out of nowhere it's not even part of the plot that we've been looking at I think it links in with having a chapter from his perspective at the end of the previous book that we would also start to sway. And then maybe it's just supposed to kind of run with the theme of him having been in a position where he's searching for someone that he cares for, being separated by them and not knowing how they're doing. So it's just kind of reinforced that this is a familiar terror for him before we kind of go, oh, wait, Farrah's kind of in that position as well. So that's the only reason I can see mm -hmm. that it's relevant. I don't know, maybe you've took a different meaning from it, Jesse. I thought it was just a really bizarre way to start the book. <laughs> like, we ended on such a good cliffhanger. You really wanted to get to fair, and then you get this dusty memory. Yeah. From this long ago, which kind of is a bit like, what? What is the point of this? We already know that they're really good friends and that they would die for each other and that blah 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 they've been separated but why is this necessary i see what maria said but i'm more inclined to agree with jess i maybe it's just because it's only the first 20 chapters that we're talking about it might become more relevant in later chapters but i don't see the point so far i think jess is right like we've already established that recent cassian and asriel are like brothers they've gone through so much together I don't think we really needed to see this. We know that Rhysand is a tortured male. We've gone over this numerous times. We didn't need, I think, I don't think it really added anything to his character. But I do think that Maria is right. Like, maybe it just sets the kind of tone and how everyone is gearing up to another war between Prithian and Highburn. So maybe we're supposed to just kind of get into that mindset. I don't know, but it was a weird way to start off. Like, I wanted to know what Fair is doing. I don't care about Resand 502 years ago. <laughs> Completely. Personally. But then we do get to Fair because the next chapter and the rest of the book is from Fair's POV. So, as Marie already mentioned, Fair is back at the Spring Court. Tamlin is the High Lord there, and Tamlin was the original love interest from book one but he became quite a toxic character. And Feyre has infiltrated the Spring Court as the High Lady of the Night Court. So 
what do you think about the first couple of chapters where Feyre has suddenly become a master manipulator and a spy? Okay. Does this not kind of feel like character bleed through of uh, Throne of Glass or the first book? Yeah. The main character female from a Throne of Glass. Yep. I don't know if they were written around at the same time. I have no idea of the timelines, but does it not just kind of feel like she's gone a bit that way with Farrah's character? Yeah. Maria, have you read? You've read some of the Throne of Glass books, right? Yeah, I think I got like most of the way through them before I gave up. I think you're right, Jess. Like Aelin, who is the main character slash Selina, and spoilers for those of you who haven't read it, she is supposed to be really smart and she keeps coming up with all these crazy like subplots and like she doesn't tell anyone what she's gonna do and then it all comes to a head at the end of each book i think they were being written at around the same time so jess you might be right like she's using some of that in pharah because like we've seen pharah in similar situations before like when they went to the summer court in the previous book she was supposed to you know get tarquin on their side and see if he would give her the book that they were looking for. She played the role of Rhysand's pet when they went to the Court of Nightmares. So, like, we've seen elements of her being able to change her character, but I never really thought of her as, like, a spy or, like, a mastermind in the sense that she would be able to bring down a whole court from the inside. How do you think... How do you feel about it, Maria? Yeah, no, it's a big leap, I think. Like, I don't know if we've ever seen evidence that she's capable of this before so it's hard to like to yeah I mean obviously she does it in the book but it does seem like a a very big growth but then I suppose as well like there is the level of she's kind of she knows this court and she's been there for a long time and she knows these people and she knows their flaws so I guess it's somewhat believable that if she could do it anywhere she'd do it there Mm -hmm. did you like it I loved it this whole Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. Why? Because we're shoving it in Tamlin's face? We're... Yeah, I think because, I mean, for me anyways, like at the, la- the end of the last book, like all control is, as far as everyone's concerned, taken from her and she's being ferried around like a possession and she has no control mm-hmm. and, and she's actually using their like, you know, underestimating her against them. So it's nice to have that little bit of coming full circle. But I don't know, maybe you saw something different, Jesse. In terms of the plot, I also did like it. I think she just took it a bit far sometimes and made it a bit ridiculous. In particular, the whole thing at the very end with the soldier that she kept visiting every time and like personally cleaning his wounds, I thought that was pretty cringe. And she had mentioned to like Bronn and Hart that she was concerned for her safety. I thought that was taking it a bit far, but I did enjoy the plot of her kind of masterminding everyone. Yeah, especially... Because when we compare it to when she was in the spring court after they got back from under the mountain, a lot of what Tamlin was doing then and how he was treating Feyre is the same as what's happening now. And nobody, like we talked about this, nobody really cared or did much. And now suddenly everyone's really concerned about her safety and how Tamlin is treating her. It just, to me, it felt like a bit of a leap as well in terms of the other characters Especially characters like Bronn and Hart, who are like two of Tamlin's closest allies or like his sentries. Like when they first met Feyre, they were completely uncaring of her trauma. They treated her, her fight with the worm as some kind of sporting event. And now a few months later, they are suddenly on her side. Why? I just don't know. Like, I think the way that other characters so quickly fell under her plan or manipulation I just found that a little bit maybe unrealistic yeah definitely I assumed that that was because she was like the poor long-suffering woman having just been returned from spending months under the uh, certain torture of Rhysand in the night court they're like wow she's really been through it let's just not give her a hard time yeah so spending time with Reese is worse than being almost killed under the mountain. Yeah, because then it was kind of still the crack, but that's how bad the Night Court is. That's what I kind of took that to mean. Mm-hmm. That's true, because they took like her time under the mountain as sport. In other words, they just hate the Night Court. court. Mm. Yeah, that's true. But in terms of like 
the revenge that she gets on Tamlin and Ianthe, there is, you know, an element of satisfaction, I think, for us, the readers, because I think we all agree that Tamlin's behavior at the end of the previous book, which is when he sold them out to Highburn and made an, an alliance with Highburn in exchange for Feyre, I'm not sure anyone can really be on his side at this point as a reader. So I think, Maria, you're the one who put in here about Tamlin and his behavior that you want to talk about. So what do you want to mention about Tamlin? Yeah, well, it's just that he's he's like pining for this kind of second chance with her. Like the whole second book was, well, the majority was him trying to get her back for this second chance. He's finally given back his reward, his prize. And like... It doesn't make him a better person. Not that like, I mean, it's plausible that it would, but like he doesn't improve. He gets worse for like being given. The reason why he's misbehaving and like acting out is that she's gone and she's not gone and he's still worse, you know? And we see that like in tons of different examples where he gets angry and blows things up or where he uses his kind of pride and his want to look good to like he takes it out on his guards or on Lucien and he's just his character gets even worse even though he got everything he wanted which it's really making it clear who the bad guy is for the readers in case you were misguided mm-hmm. I totally agree I I thought he was so cringe like the dialogue actually most of his dialogue because he doesn't really have much it's just 99% just cringe <laughs> It's so overdramatic and it's like, I don't know, it's like from some kind of romance drama. It's just unbelievable. That's all I'll it's say. like a telenovela. Mm. <laughs> That's exactly it. It was just so bizarre. I think I, I agree with you. I feel like the melodrama has gone up a level. Like <laughs> <laughs> It's sometimes difficult. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we can talk about this maybe a little bit more at the end, like the general writing style, because I feel like there's more to say there. But in terms of Tamlin's behavior, yeah, I think, Maria, you're right. I feel like a lot of his actions may be from the point of view of his subjects at the Spring Court. You know, we didn't see what was going on when Farah was with Resand and everybody else, but I think we can assume that a lot of people excused his behavior because they felt like he was just so desperate to get the love of his life back and that maybe once she's back he will you know calm down and he will actually become the leader that they all want him to be but that absolutely did not happen all of his toxic traits that he had had before are still there his jealousy of Feyre spending time with any other male and specifically with Lucian I mean, Feyre is obviously the manipulator here. She is putting herself in these situations where she's alone with Lucien so that um, Tamlin can find them because she knows that he's going to be jealous and it's going to sow discord between him and his right-hand man. Mm -hmm. And his temper tantrums whenever anyone questions his authority or... If, like, Farah speaks up on, you know, just to defend herself or to disagree with him and he explodes all over again and the talons keep coming out, like, everything keeps happening. And it's just like, why are you the way you are, Tamlin? <laughs> yeah, I wish someone had just told him the jealousy is a real ick. <laughs> Tamlin, just leave it alone. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's not just Tamlin, like, Ianthe is no better. Mm-hmm. What do you think of Ianthe? I know we don't have it here, but... I'm curious how you feel because Ianthe was the one who sold out Feyre's sister. So Tamlin just wanted Feyre back. But Ianthe gave the King of Highburn, Nesta and Elaine without Tamlin knowing about it or without his agreement. Mm. And we get the scene where Ianthe comes back and she's like, oh, I did this because I thought maybe deep down, Feyre, you wanted your sisters to be immortal. So I was doing you a favor kind of thing. What are we... What do we think about Ianthe? She's very problematic, I think, but what do you think? I felt like that was a bit, whoops, my bad, but it's all okay. They're still alive. <laughs> thought it was, like, it was a pretty bad apology. It was an apology without admitting she had done anything wrong, which is um, pretty politically minded of her. And I think, don't we get an insight as to why 
Ianthe in particular, but also the high priestesses, may be working with the king. Like, what is their angle? Why did she go that extra step further to suggest that fair sisters be made? Sorry, did you say that there that we get a reason for it? We're, we're beginning to kind of see, yeah, why. Mm-hmm. You know, I just think we kind of re- realize that she's a snake, you know? Mm. Like, she's just become much more transparent now. So it's obviously just her trying to patch up a reason because, like, having to explain to Farrah was such an afterthought that she didn't even try and make it believable at the time. So, yeah, we just have, like, a snake completely, kind of like Tamlin, I guess, but, like, hers was entirely self-serving and in a vindictive way. In some twisted way, he thought he was helping Farrah. But they knew mm. she was just helping herself. Maybe just remind me, because I feel like I've forgotten what was the reasoning for her self. Like, what was she trying to achieve with this for, like, the priestesses? Yeah, you said that, Jesse. I don't remember what exactly. Yeah, don't we learn that she is essentially working with Highburn because they both share a vision of a Prithian free of High Lords, but instead ruled by High Priestesses. So they're already kind of navigating into the courts and gaining uh, political allies. Yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're right. I forgot about that. So in an attempt to kind of appease the king and also to show him that they are in alliance, they accept a delegation from the king of Highburn in the form of, we assume they're twins, but I don't know if we're ever 100% told that this is the case, but we get two new characters. Oh, they're definitely brother and sister, though. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah. But are they twins? Do we know for sure? Okay. I think so. Dagdan and Brana, I want to say, is yeah. are their names. Yeah. And um, Jess, do you want to tell us about them? Sure. There's a niece and nephew of the King of Highburn and some of his high-up commanders. They are pretty old. I think they fought in the last war. And they arrive with Jurian. And immediately they're super weird, like... They're just weird. Like, the fact they want to sleep in the same room and he's so devoted to her, it's just weird. Like, it's basically screaming incest. It's horrible. I hate it. <laughs> and everybody goes along with it. Nobody, Nobody's like, are you sure you want to sleep in the same room? Or, like, nobody is... Everyone is so afraid. It's like hosting, you know, um, the president for dinner in your small family home and if you say the wrong thing, he'll shoot you, you know. They're, they're really afraid to say what's going on. <laughs> yep. Yeah, no, that's so the vibe I got. But yeah, as well as that, they're just like sadistic, creepy people. Separate to their interactions with each creepy. other. They're just creeps. Like, they're a pair of creeps. Like, mm. I don't know why they have Irish sounding <laughs> names. That bugs me. But yeah, they're creeps. <laughs> well, because they're from Ireland, right? Isn't that what Highburn is? I guess so. <laughs> Didn't we establish this, that Prithian is, you know, Scotland and Wales and England and Highburn is supposed to be Ireland, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a nice Uno reverse. Really. In terms of the math. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. It just annoys me because in other words, I would have thought they were cool names, but these like absolute creep characters ruin them for me. Is Dagdon an Irish name? Yeah, I think I looked it up before or something similar to that is like an Irish it name. It sounds like it could be. Yeah. Okay. Old. Okay. Interesting, because I kind of read as Brana as being more Irish, and then Dagdan gave me real like Eastern European vibes. I think it depends so. how you pronounce it. Like, I think you're saying it too fast. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the the Highburn twins. Yes, they're really creepy, and we don't really know why everyone is so deferential to them. Like, why doesn't anyone? speak up except for pharaoh pharaoh seems to be the only one who's happy enough to kind of you know talk back and we find out that they can communicate with each other mentally so they they have the same power as reese so we we see a few times where pharaoh is you know using her power to try and protect the so pharaoh is trying to protect you know tamlin and lucian and ianthe from the the twins so that they don't read their thoughts and everything (laughs) <laughs> she's so noble isn't she <laughs> yeah she's like a firewall for everyone's brain yeah yeah but like I'm I wonder why they don't bring it up 
like the twins, because they obviously know that it's Feyre who's doing this, but they, and I would have thought that this would be the exact sort of thing that they would maybe throw in Tamlin's face. Like, oh, look, she has this power that the only other person who has this power is Reese. And they don't do <laughs> I that. I thought of that as a, as a way for them to taunt them. Yeah, I, yeah exactly. Yeah. They like, I mean, they already know that she has all of the high pa- Lord's powers. So it wouldn't be weird that she could do it. Mm-hmm. Well, it would be weird that she's practiced all of like these abilities and can do them now, even though like she was like suffering for the last few months and couldn't train before them. But like Tamlin is just blissfully like, what I want is what has happened. He's manifesting mm-hmm. pretty hard, harder than Ariana Grande ever did. I think the reason why everybody's so afraid of them is because like we get the sense that they're immensely powerful, but also that like Tamlin is not the equal to the king. He's just agreed to not be like the small bit of resistance that he would have been. So like he's handed over like all of his all of his like power and influence as far as the King of Hybern goes, but he doesn't necessarily get like, you know, any say in the matter. So they kind of have to be afraid of them and have to go along with what they say because like Tamlin has no real control over the situation. They have much more authority than him now even on his own soil. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why they get the differential treatment that they do. So Jess, do you want to tell us a bit about what else the twins do that really sets Feyre and Lucien off in particular? Oh, this is great. Ah, yes. Okay. So they're out and about looking at holes in the wall and they come across a delegation, I think three people from the children of the blessed who had gone across, humans who had gone across the wall. And they're kind of described as very doe-eyed and very like we're here to meet you and bless you and blah 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 that they're enter- entering into a great place and the twins are obviously like lusting after them in this unnatural creepy way and it's obvious that they like want to eat them or something and it's just really horrible and yes yeah, so fair is obviously like look you can't do th- we don't do those things here they get pissy because they don't like being denied and then that night they go and kill the children anyway. They go and catch them from the border to bring them back to kill them next to the camp as a little bit of a, like, we won't be told what to do activity. And Maria, what does what do Feyre and Lucien do in retaliation? Oh, they set the bogey on them, which is great. <laughs> like, it's great because it, like, it seems like something, I mean, like, if it's something that even Lucien couldn't consider fighting, then it's bad enough. Like, and we get the impression that they're they're shook to their core from it. So it's it's perfect, like... And I love that Lucien goes a long way too because he's a timid ally at best while she's in the spring court, but it's the first time that we see like what could be considered an act of rebellion by him where like his conscience Mm. is saying that the acceptable behavior is different to what Tamlin would take in this circumstance. Although it's hard to say what Tamlin would take because he's really upset with Feyre and Lucien for having set the bogey on them. So yeah, yeah, I don't think he would have done anything. Yeah, exactly, which is just going to build on how unforgivable he's becoming as a character. Like, yeah. where where does it end? Like, yeah. if he's going to condone this kind of behavior or, you know, maybe just say, well, just, you know, don't do it next time, I suppose, kind of thing. But yeah, I loved it. I loved what... <laughs> yeah, I mean, it didn't really have much of an effect I guess they maybe they were a little bit scared, but yeah. But also, I want to know, like, it's kind of the question of how did she become a master manipulator? How did she learn to do this? Like, we're talking about a girl who could just about hunt deer when these books started, maybe about a year ago. Well, my understanding was that Lucian did most of the work, and she was just kind of there to help him. I suppose, yeah. I don't know, but yeah, that scene after they get back home and. They're like, well, we feel completely justified in what we did is when Tamlin explodes again in the study and this time Farah doesn't protect herself. So she has like a black eye and she has a scar on her face and all the sentries are like, whoa, this guy is abusive. We are now suddenly on Farah's side, even though a year ago this was totally fine behavior. Do you want to tell us either of you a little bit about this sentry that Jess, you mentioned already that Feyre goes to visit and heal. What happens too there? Cringe. I don't want to take this one. No? Okay. Maria, do you want to? Okay. So the like, sentry has fallen asleep on his guard shift 
and some keys have gone missing. And then Iante is talking about how there's probably some kind of creatures on the loose around the same time. She's saying that there's possibly creatures on the loose and whatever. And then we have an attack on Tamlin's estate and it somehow comes to the conclusion that the keys that this sentry lost were used to facilitate this attack and so he needs to be punished for his transgression. Mm-hmm. Farah is pretty certain that this was all set up by Ayante to try and get back some of the power that she'd lost between like Tamlin being the big man and the weird twins coming over and having the power. Ayante's kind of lost a substantial portion of her standing so Farah is fairly certain that this was something she orchestrated to get herself back in the limelight and to, to kind of reaffirm her place as, you know, being someone who gives the advice. Um, so she tries to, like, say, hey, let's hear this scared out. Maybe, you know, like, this wasn't his fault or maybe it wasn't entirely his fault. And then she allows him to remember that this is Ayante's doing and he publicly exclaims this. But Ayante kind of says, no, this is a lie. And then Tamlin has to choose in public whether to trust his own sentry or to side with Ayante. And because he has his uh, guests from Highburn observing all of this, he doesn't want to show a crack in his authority. So he sides with Ayante against his own guard and chooses to punish the guard and basically say that more so than the, the like the actual pain, but the, with the man's pride by saying like, oh, you know, like the, you allowed this to happen and I don't trust my guard and whatever else, which is also a big factor in like, Farah didn't do this. This was all Ayante. So, like, this is one of those times where, like, the cracks start to show in his court that are nothing to do with her interaction at all. Like, he chose to not trust his own men. But mm-hmm. I think that's pretty much it. And then Farrah goes and tends to the guard afterwards because she, I guess, feels bad for him. Yeah, because basically his punishment is that he's going to be whipped by Tamlin in public in front of everyone. Yeah. I mean, I suppose an argument could be made also that the reason Ianthi does this is because of Farrah's behavior at the summer solstice. Which is and... even more ridiculous. Aw, <laughs> oh, Jess, I feel like you feel like this whole thing is just all cringe. <laughs> uh, the stuff at the start, I have to say, like, it is cringe. It's cringe. You don't like it? I, I like the plot, actually. It's just the tone in which she writes it is just too much. Like, she just needs mm-hmm. to calm down. I just keep going with the plot. Mm-hmm. That, was, yeah. that was for me, anyway. It is a lot of high drama scenarios, back it to back. It was too sassy. But then Feyre almost seems like a different character to me at this point. Yeah, like she's just become this like absolute weapon. I think I would find it more believable if we had scenes of maybe her communicating with Reese and Reese is giving her these ideas because we get the feeling that, you know, Reese has been doing this for centuries. He knows how to play the game. Mm-hmm. But Feyre has only been in this land for like a year. Like, where <laughs> is all this coming from? I don't, I genuinely don't buy it on some level yeah yeah like I mean you could try and explain that she's using her new like powers to kind of understand people's minds better but even still like it's it's a huge jump even with with that yeah like it's quite unbelievable that she becomes so efficient and that all of this would happen so quickly because I think she's only there for less than a month isn't she and everything she manages to break down everything in less than a month yeah She's efficient. It's While doing fast. incredible mental gymnastics to defend and shield everyone of importance. Yeah, yeah like yeah. work that takes some people centuries to learn and she's learned it in, in like what? She's got it. Mm-hmm. Star pupil. Yeah, she's the best. But we do learn that she isn't at full power because the twins have been slowly poisoning her and Lucian as well while their food with bane which is some kind of herb or something that that like limits their powers and we get the scene where Farah is has decided that okay she's done everything she needs to do the court is about to fall apart it's time for her to go back to the night court so she's gonna abandon Tamlin and Ianthe and Lucian at the wall and she's come up with like some plan of how she's planted like fake memories in the sentries and they'll claim that she was attacked by the twins and that Tamlina and Ianthe didn't do anything to help her. It's pretty high level stuff, you know. Yeah. For her to have done with these after so little time. 
But things don't go to plan because, Jess, why don't things go to plan? What does she discover as she's about to leave? Oh, I don't like this scene. Okay. We discover Ianth is basically harassing Lucian. Mm-hmm. And then Fair kind of has this inner battle of, you know, I need to go, I should leave. You know, I could be the bad guy. I need I need to go. I really should be going now to get back home to my own my own people. Or Lucien was my friend and should I leave him to suffer this fate? And I found the whole thing super uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Anyway, she goes and rescues Lucien. He's pretty embarrassed. She punishes Ianth, which also was a... I don't know, I felt a bit odd to read. And... Then Branna and Dagdon show up and they're like, ha ha ha, time to reveal some plot. Mm-hmm. And then somehow her and Lucien kill the two of them in a show of simply remarkable talent, not yet previously seen. Exhibited. Yeah. What specifically made you uncomfortable, if I can ask? Like, was it just that Farah is suddenly becoming morally grey because she's even entertaining the idea of leaving Lucien behind or the level of violence or the way it was written. Okay. The first part makes me uncomfortable because it's written to make you uncomfortable as it should because it's a bit rapey. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. For sure. Then when she's punishing Ianth, okay, it's very violent and it feels like it's a bit out of nowhere violent. Mm-hmm. Although she definitely has been more violent in this. No, the attack on Valaris was the last book, wasn't it? Yes, with the water wolves. So she has shown this in the past, but it's just pretty, like... Visceral. I am God, and I will now bestow upon you your punishment. Mm-hmm. And, like, she's narrating the whole thing out. It's just a bit horrible. Mm-hmm. thought it was a bit coincidental that right when she's about to leave... There's this little trap that's like, oh, you have to stay. Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, And yeah, it's a bit interesting, like you said, that she debated leaving. But then I suppose the way she sees it as well is that every bad thing that Tamlin's done, Lucian has helped facilitate by not walking away. So in a way, he's landed himself in this circumstance. So it's not like if she walks away, she still hasn't done anything wrong. But it is, it's a sketch circumstance to come across I suppose with everything that happened to Riss she probably has a, a stronger reaction than she would have before she left the first time but mm-hmm. yeah the the like following scene where she takes on two incredibly powerful like warriors with these abilities who've had centuries if not millennia of training who haven't been poisoned with nullifying agents and she basically single-handedly like takes them on and like that's just so unbelievable. It's so unbelievable. It's because she's the only person who can see that they're in love with each other. Yeah. <laughs> and she uses it against them. She kinda does. <laughs> she kinda Everyone does. Everyone else is seemingly blind to this. Everyone else is just looking the other way, Jesse. They're not blind. But <laughs> Yeah, no, it is it mm. is like so mad that like she's just like, oh, I'll just you know literally bit of smoke and and shadow and i'll distract them and they'll fall for it because they won't and like that she could physically fight them when like it was ridiculous yeah i just i was like come on like now that's just that's the unbelievable part but yeah the stuff with ianthe i was kind of like i was like ah that was a long time coming to be fair yeah but i i agree with jess like it feels a little bit like it's coming a bit out of nowhere. Like, I don't think Feyre until this point has been inherently violent or has had such violent and aggressive thoughts. But this, these first 20 chapters, she, like, we get her inner monologue. Like, we hear what she's thinking at every point and how she's imagining, you know, ripping people to shreds or, like, slitting Ianthe's throat when they're sleeping in the tent together. So... Yeah, it's it's sudden. It's gone from like zero to a hundred. I can see that it's sudden, but also then I suppose the recent events for her were her sisters being kidnapped and terrible things happening to them at the fault of the people she's surrounded with. Azrael and Cassian yeah. being severely wounded. So like, there's been so much imminent violence that like she's been on the receiving end of that. Like, it definitely would have set her mind frame to a more aggressive base level. Mm. 
I think. So it's Mm -hmm. more that like she's been exposed to this and now she's changed her way of behavior to expect it and to reciprocate it. I suppose we can say she is justified in wanting revenge. Like it's not as if she's doing this because she's an inherently cruel person and she wants, you know, she's playing with them for, she's doing it to avenge the wrongs that have been done against her people. Like Ianthe was rapey with Reese as well. This isn't, you know, it's not just Lucian. Yeah. And other men as well. Yeah. 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 She's been doing this for centuries. And we also get the the thing where at this year's Callan Mai, Tamlin refused to take part in the <laughs> the ritual. <laughs> so he kind of forced Lucian to do it, and Lucian had to take part with Ianthe, which is just like it's awful. When you know what Ianthe is like and then you have this scene of her, you know, the way that she's treating Lucian. It, it really is just like, Tamlin, what are you doing? Like, you haven't done... there. You have no redeemable qualities at this point. Yeah. Like, you're just digging yourself into a deeper and deeper hole. <sighs> Tamlin. Anyway, so Feyre and Lucian escape. And we get two chapters-ish of them just trekking through the autumn court. Mm-hmm. How did you like that part? I was a bit annoyed with Lucien because he was being kind of a dick. But, mm-hmm. like, for someone who chose to, like, pack up and leave with her, you'd think he'd be a little bit more forgiving of her decision-making process. And as someone... I completely agree with you. Yeah, he's, like, seen... Mm-hmm. He's seen what Tamlin's done. And he hasn't seen what the Night Court has done. But he knows that she's come back to them healthy or than she was and capable and he's still choosing to act like she's done something wrong like she's like the not the victim here like so i was just kind of like cop on that was my mm-hmm. mindset for lucian the whole way through just cop on yeah but i mean this is you know in keeping with lucian's character like he's been a bit of a dick from the beginning <laughs> yeah yeah but it's because he's like sided with her on small things that like you nearly mm-hmm. just you you have this hope that he'll have a bit more of an open mind and then when he just mm-hmm. completely doesn't and it's like but you chose to leave as well with her just now so like how are you being so like i don't know i don't know what the word is hypocritical unhelpful <laughs> hypocritical yes hypocritically and judgmental yeah 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 but like we get the feeling that the only reason he's left is because he wants Elaine. Like, he's not going with Feyre because he agrees inherently with Feyre and mm. feels like the Night Court are actually decent people. Yeah. And Tamlin did the wrong thing. He's going because that's where his mate is. And she's so going for the same for reason. completely selfish reasons. For sure, yes. Yeah. So hypocrisy, yes. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, no, no, I know what you mean, though. Like, I mean, his is different because... He considered his mate to be just an innocent flower grower and hers is supposed to be this grand villain. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. What did you think, Jesse? To me, again, it felt like not in line with previous writing styles or whatever. It felt mm-hmm. like she wanted a bit to have that kind of dramatic montage movie in a moment where, you know, the hero's on some kind of epic journey and, you know, the, the weather is terrible and they're really suffering a lot and they're not eating good food and... You know, they're all of this out of their dedication to get back home to the, you know, to wherever they're going. Mm-hmm. It just felt odd, like, I don't know. Mm. We got obviously a bit of plot exposition and stuff, but it was just a bit done a bit oddly, I think. Did anyone else think it was weird that it was going to take her so long to, like, get her power back? It took agonizingly long, Because it took, like, it... They didn't disappear completely, so she was being slowly dosed. So you would think that, you know, like... it. I think it was like nine or ten days or something. Yeah, I just thought it was weird that it would take so long to come back on the other side of it. But I suppose that's literally not a science, so... Mm. It just seemed like something designed to extend the mm-hmm. agony, like, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, she she had been sort of like... Taking it probably for the better part of a week, a week and a half, two weeks maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or if they had been supplying Tamlin with food from before, possibly like a month. 
Yeah, no, no, it's true. It's just that it seemed almost like an excuse to let her suffer some more, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, but like, that's how you, that's how she built the tension, right? Like, if they had their powers all along, they would have just winnowed to the night court, no Mm -hmm. problem. Yeah, exactly. We wouldn't get the trekking, we wouldn't get the confrontation with Lucian's brothers. I didn't mind this section, like, I thought this was quite well done you know the fact that it was just two chapters didn't make it feel that drawn out for me personally Mm. and I liked getting the extra danger element from Lucian's brothers because we're obviously building towards something with them Mm. like there's a reason they're there and I quite liked seeing that because if they had managed to just get through every single court without anything happening to them I wouldn't have believed that either yeah like, what's your security like? Like, how is it possible that you've trekked across half a country and nobody, nothing happened to you? Like, no, it is good. It is good. It's just kind of unfortunate for her. It's a series of unfortunate events for mm. Vera. For sure. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose if she had, what was it? When Reese, in the previous book, she had to give him like her blood or something mm-hmm. or, or like some kind of herb. Yeah, her healing and then properties. His powers that, came back. That don't work for her. <laughs> well, I suppose her powers are nullified now, so. Yeah, it's a real catch. Even if she drank her own blood, maybe. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, so we get a really epic scene. I, I don't know if you guys like this as much as I do, but like I picture it almost like movie style, you know, when the heroes come in, the Avengers have arrived. <laughs> exactly what you're going to say. Completely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's pretty good. It would do the, the like camera panning from the feet up, like angle. Yeah, do you know in oh, Harry yeah. Potter, in the one where um, Professor McGonagall's like, do your duty and protect our school, and the statues fall down into like the hero pose. Yes, that yeah. is exactly That's how what's I imagine them landing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the Night Court, you know, they love their dramatic <laughs> entrances. <laughs> yeah. Because basically you have uh, Feyre and Lucian are running across this frozen lake or something and his brothers are there and they're slowly melting the ice underneath them. And then you have like this fight between Eris. That melting the ice of like entire sheets of ice melting was too ridiculous. Yeah, there has well, to be why? huge amounts of energy to expand. Yeah, but like, I mean, these are super powerful high fey. He's going to be the next High Lord of the Autumn Court, presumably. That's true. It was just a bit, again, dramatic. Okay, yes, but like some drama, you need some drama to justify 20 chapters <laughs> of plot. Yes. But yeah, I quite liked it. Like, I, I agree that it was maybe a bit overdone, but in this specific instance, it really worked for me. We've gone 12 chapters with just Feyre, and you really want to see what's happening with the inner circle. And then finally, you know, Feyre doesn't know if Cassian and Asriel are healing or, you know, what's going on. And then they arrive to save the day and Farah decides to spare Eris and the other brothers and they go back to the night court and, and all is well. And uh, I really like that scene. Like, I felt like that was a good building of tension and then it really paid off when you get Cassian and Asriel coming in and you, I felt like you, like Farah was close to breaking point at that point. You know, she was trying to fight against Eris. She was wounded and she had forgotten all of her training. And it felt like she was panicking and, you know, like she wouldn't be able to get out of it on her own. So it worked for me to have them then come in and save her, basically. They're a high lady. I'm just a sucker for these things, ladies. (laughs) No, no, no. It's it's a good point. What did you think of the high lady reveal as well? I felt like she was like showing her cards too early i felt like that was a really good completely i was like why did you just let that slip for no reason yeah i thought it was a really bad move strategically yeah but i don't know really? but, well i just i don't think i appreciated the significance of it the first time around because i was like well now they know mm-hmm. that you're more valuable to capture rather than less and they know that they nearly captured you quite easily once already so surely that's going to bring more trouble onto your doorstep but I guess looking mm-hmm. over it, I, I, a few times later, I kind of understood that she was basically saying that like it's a, it's a political death for you to try and do this again. Mm. But yeah, I just thought I thought yeah, like I it, didn't quite read it as that. Well, I, yeah, I just thought she was kind of letting the trump card go for no good reason. I just thought she was being kind of dumb. I just thought she was like, "Haha, you nearly got us. Look at that. By the way, guess who I am? <laughs> Hi, lady." <laughs> 
you done fucked up. You know, I feel like she was just having a little smoke moment. Just wanted to tell it as a little like, yeah. Mm. Oh. And then it was a bit of an unnatural character transition for me personally, but obviously we didn't all in- interpret it like that. Yeah, I just, I thought it was a bit weird as well that the girl who was getting someone to smash their hand into pieces with a rock a few, like, days ago was suddenly being like, let's just let them live. Oh, by the way, I'm immensely powerful, but I'm going to let you live and show you mercy, even though you did something really horrible to my friend. But for, It's a very kid's cartoon. Yeah, it's like completely like two days ago when something horrible was happening to her friend, not even her friend, her like frenemy, she was like, I'm going to, you know, exact revenge. But mm-hmm. when she comes face to face with someone who's actually done something really terrible to her friend and she's like, I'm going to let you go and I'm going to tell you valuable information about my status in my court. <laughs> I just didn't see the... Why? I kind of read it as a completely political move, mm-hmm. as in attacking... Eris and his brothers if it's self-defense it's one thing but if they're gonna keep on fighting against them and if they kill them you know if if Asriel and Cassian keep going and obviously they're gonna win because they're super powerful mm. you have now killed the son of a high lord of of like an enemy high lord in quotation marks or we don't know if they're allies or not but pre- we think they're not because nobody likes the autumn court and also vice versa. Like, if Eris and his brothers keep fighting against them and something happens to Feyre, Feyre, at this point for them, is just Feyre. Like, mm. she's just a somebody. But if she's High Lady of a, of another court, then you have Reese, who's definitely going to come down on the Autumn Court to avenge her if anything happens to her. If That's she's taken true. captive or if she's killed like it would it would spark a reaction from Reese and his entire court and I think so she played that card in my understanding to kind of say okay this is a ceasefire now like we we can't keep going because it's gonna have Mm -hmm. consequences further down the line whereas Mm -hmm. fighting against Ianthe Ianthe at this point she's just a high priestess you know yeah nobody no court is gonna go to war against Feyre and the night court just because she beat up Ianthe. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of the Ron Burgundy quote. She's just like, I'm kind of a big deal to them. So that like nobody, <laughs> you know, nobody. Yeah, it's no, I, I think, yeah, that makes a way more sense than the other way around. Yeah, at least that's how I justify it. Yeah. And then she goes back to Valeris. Woo woo, victory. Woo woo. Yay. And Lucian and, is um... still a dick. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, he is. But I mean, a bit less so, you know? I feel like he handles it pretty well. Like, he could have been a lot worse. Yeah, I think he's still a bit too hypocritical for my taste, but yeah. Yeah, but that just seems to be his character, you know? Yeah. He's just a bit hypocritical always. Like, Mm. he doesn't agree with what Tamlin is doing, but does he stand up to Tamlin? No. He doesn't agree with Tamlin allying with Highburn, but does he really do anything? No. He just goes along. That's just kind of, yeah, that's just kind of Lucian. Yeah. It seems to me. But yeah. So, how do you feel about Nesta and Elaine in this part of the book? Oh, it's awfully dull, isn't it? <laughs> like, the two of them are just suffering, and Nesta's really angry, and as always, and, you know, she's the viper, and nobody really likes her, and blah, blah, blah. And Elaine's just, like, a poor wilted being. She's, you know, really frail, and she sits looking out the window like someone in a period drama. Like, the whole thing is just about time for the two ladies elaine is like what's her face from twilight bella when when edward leaves her and she's just i can neither confirm nor deny have you not read twilight (gasps) i've seen the movies but i I simply don't remember oh my god maria you know what i'm talking about yep (laughs) okay good yeah (laughs) unfortunately (laughs) yes oh it's too late for me to say no as well and redeem my pride no 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 i mean I also read Twilight. I used to think it was the shit. Disclaimer, I was 11. So, But yeah. Disclaimer, I was not. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, no. Yeah, Elaine is just, yeah, she's more the absence of character than she's ever been before. Mm-hmm. Truly. They've both reverted. Yeah, they've taken away her flowers and now she has nothing. Yeah, they've both become like the worst parts of themselves, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, she doesn't even flowers. It's in a bit it. like it's a bit low effort, you know. It's a bit dull. Yeah, in terms of plot and it's a bit annoying as well. Development that like Nesta's so like n- nobody can be trusted with her. Like blah, 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 as if Farah had any part in what had happened, you know, where she's like distrusting of everyone. Obviously, her being related to Farah got her into this circumstance, but that's not Farah's fault. Like. All of this started because Nesta wouldn't get any food, so... So you think that Nesta blames Farah for what happened to her? I think she blames all of them, but, like, she only knows them because of Farah. So, yeah, I think she kind of says, like, if we... I think her mindset is, if we hadn't helped you, this wouldn't have happened. Mm-hmm. Even though it was Ayante that ratted them out, which Farah told Ayante about them, so... In a way, it wouldn't have happened mm. without Farah, but also, like I said, none of this would have happened if Nesta would have hunted a feckin' deer once in a while. So, mm. But she definitely has mm-hmm. this anger at all of them. She's blaming everyone who's not responsible and everyone who is responsible. Okay, interesting. I think I read it a bit differently. I didn't read it as her necessarily blaming everybody else, mm. but I agree that she doesn't trust anybody, but that's in keeping with her character and that mm-hmm. she doesn't like anybody because she's never liked anybody anyway. Mm-hmm. And I think her trauma and her experiences have just, as Jess said, kind of brought out the worst in her. She's just more mean, maybe. Or like, I don't even think she's more mean. Like, I think she is just still Nesta, but now devastatingly beautiful (laughs) and immortal. And like, there's some kind of darkness in her, we feel. Everyone kind of comments on it, right? Like... Something happened in the cauldron that didn't necessarily happen with Elaine, but the fact that Nesta kept fighting back and she did that death point finger thing (laughs) at the king, she has something dark inside of her that she didn't have before. Yeah, yeah. But it hasn't manifested it. But, you know, it's interesting because when Feyre was going through her trauma and suffering, we were all very sympathetic and empathetic but we're being really critical of Nesta and Elaine. And I mean, I don't see Elaine... Okay, we've said it before. Like, neither none of us really like Elaine that much, it feels to me, because, I mean, she's a non-character so far. We don't really know much about her. But falling into a depression based on a past trauma is exactly what Feyre did at the beginning of A Court of Mist and Fury. So why are we so critical of Elaine being depressed, but we weren't of Feyre? Feyre wasn't getting any help in her circumstance. So I think more mm-hmm. of our sympathy went for that. In other words, obviously, Elaine and Nesta are being cared for as much as they will permit. So mm-hmm. I guess it's not that they don't. It's just that why we felt more sympathy for Feyre, I think, is because her circumstance was substantially worse. Mm-hmm. but I agree that like I mean when I'm reading I'm like oh come on like get over it already which I shouldn't be <laughs> but I was just like let's do something more interesting than sitting in a library guys come on but yeah I don't know what did mm-hmm. you think Jesse? I completely agree actually I was like I hadn't really felt bad about it until now to be honest but now that you said it I completely agree yeah because I'm also thinking you know Elaine, on top of everything else that has happened, she has someone she loves who is a human who hates Faye. And now she is a Faye. She -hmm. was supposed to marry someone. She can't leave the house. You know, they won't let her actually leave. They won't let her go outside. And then you have this randomer, Lucian, who the minute that he laid eyes on her was like, oh, you're my mate. And now he's there to claim her. And she probably doesn't understand what's going on. Anyway, she doesn't know what it means to have a mate. Nobody explained this to her. So I kind of feel for her, but I also see what you're both saying. It's it's a mixed bag. Like, I would have liked to see a bit more from her. But then again, there's so much happening politically-wise in these chapters that there isn't really much in terms of character growth from anyone, really. Mm. So it'll be interesting to see... Because I genuinely don't really remember what happens with Elaine all that much to see, you know, what her character progression will be from this point on. Yeah. So, Jess, I think you have the next point (laughs) that you want to talk about. So, 
Rizond makes a comment. I can't remember the exact words, but basically it, it's a bit cutting towards Nesta. And I think Fair then says, my sister's not some like wild beast or something. Mm-hmm. In front of, I think just in front of the inner circle, like it wasn't that politically sensitive, let's be fair. Yeah. And then she just agonizes about it. And it's pretty cringe. Not the message, but the amount of time she spends emphasizing it is just like, okay, we get it. And then they have a a private meeting and they're like, yeah, it's agreed to challenge each other privately. But politically, we present a unified front. And the whole thing is just so overt and overdone. That I just find it a bit like... We could have dialed that back by 50%, kept the message, but not been so dramatic. It also stinks of previous, let's present a united front BS from before. But other than that, yeah, I just, it it was such a small, small event that got blown quite out of proportion, I would say. I don't know. Do you agree? Um, I do agree that it was blown out of proportion, yes. I'm curious, though, what you mean about the United Front BS from before. Oh, like, I mean, because Tamlin was like, you have to agree with me because we need to have a United Front. We need to have a United Front. I see. Mm -hmm. And it was more important that Mm -hmm. they present a United Front than that front be correct. Now, that's not to say that's a circumstance again, but I was just kind of like, we've heard that before. Yeah, but I mean, I think there is something to it. Like, I think the, you know, maybe what, Sarah J. Mass is trying to do here is to show us the difference between what it means for Reese and Feyre to have a united front, but to still be able to disagree with each other and to accept criticism as a couple, mm-hmm. whereas Tamlin was completely incapable of accepting criticism or of compromising on anything because he wanted to be the powerful one. Whereas Reese and Feyre are supposed to be equals. So yes, politically speaking, when they're going to be talking to Tarquin or whichever High Lord, they won't question each other in front of the other person. But in private, they are equals and they can discuss things and disagree. And it doesn't mean that one is weaker than the other or that they don't you know, work well together. So maybe that's what she was trying to do here. Probably, yeah. Perhaps a bit much, but I don't know. Like, I I think for this specific comment, it was overblown. If it had been for something else, I don't think it would have been such a big deal. But like, disagree, like agonizing over this for two whole chapters over some something so small, like criticizing Nesta... Everyone is always criticizing Nesta. Feyre is always criticizing Nesta. So, yes, in that in this circumstance, it felt a bit overblown. Yeah. But I feel like, Jess, your take-home message from these first 20 chapters is that everything is a bit overblown and a bit much in terms of writing. I would completely agree. In terms mm. of character and then the leaps one must take to follow certain aspects of the plot, yeah, I think it's all just a bit out of line with what we've become accustomed to in mm-hmm. the previous books. In a bad way. You don't like this. In an unfamiliar way at this point, I'm going to say. Okay. In a distracting way. Yeah, I think, like, in the first 20 chapters of, like, the first two books, it's just a lot of slow builds, slow builds, slow builds. And then we've had so much happen. So the pace completely changes the pace at which characters develop completely changes. The like pace at which events happen. It's just, it's a real like gear shift. So yeah, I would say everything becomes more dramatized just because everything's happening so much faster and it's happening so much more extremely so far. Mm-hmm. Well, everything happening faster other than Farrah and Ryzen getting over the comment about Nesta, which as you said, takes like two chapters. But yeah, everything is very much geared up to be bigger than before i agree like there were i don't know if it's just because we've broken it down now and i'm actually taking my time and i'm reading it more slowly than i was before like say five chapters a day rather than a whole book in two days but i feel like i'm focusing a lot more on the language that she uses and finding it oftentimes a little bit cringe 
because things like, oh, the fr- the blood froze in my veins or, oh, a shiver went down my spine. It's like, oh my God, enough <laughs> already. Like, <laughs> it's just a bit much. I, I do agree. Yeah. So I genu- genuinely thought before we were recording this episode, like, what are we even going to say? Not much really happens in the first 20 chapters, but actually it's really dense, but it's really subtle because there's a lot of like politics and strategies for the upcoming war like we there's so much stuff that we haven't even mentioned about like you know what happened with the queens did they survive after they were put in the cauldron by the king um who are their allies you know they're gonna have the meeting with all the high lords and they have to go talk to the court of nightmares to get some kind of magical to test nesta's abilities so like a lot is happening but it is quite slow, like time, not a lot of time has passed, but it's pr- still pretty dense. How did you like the library or the introduction of the library? The library seems cool. I particularly enjoyed the part about the unknown beast at the bottom. I thought that was really cool. Mm-hmm. I also liked that it was um, a sanctuary of sorts, but again, it felt a bit like overtly trying to be like oh isn't Ryzen just the loveliest man ever isn't he so good he's not at all this evil prince like everyone makes him out to be he's just that good yeah like Jesse said it was just a bit like the first half of of what we would read had read for this episode was like see we were right this guy is so bad and then it becomes see we were right this guy is so good and it's like driving the wedge in and then mm-hmm. yeah the library itself again yeah I just I was like okay it's a library but it seems a little creepy as as well as being cool like it's also a bit creepy because it's like all underground for Farah, so there's some like trauma there with being stuck underground so it did seem mm-hmm. a little like it's in the dark and it seems like creepy but i mean cool as well yeah, I, I agree with what Jess was saying. I like the concept of it. I'm really intrigued by, oh, what's the scary thing at the bottom? But yes, like it's a sanctuary for females who have been in some way abused in the past. And this is where they can go and they can heal. So there's a lot of priestesses, but also other females who are seeking sanctuary in this in this library and like the idea of it is really it's really nice of course it's you know we're not discounting that but yes it it genuinely feels like it's just another way for us to point blank tell you that Reese is the best man ever because he allows for such a thing to even exist I mean this is also the male who you know still forces more to face her abusive parents on a regular basis, so... Well, I think we did get it somewhere that he told her, she, like, formally that if she wanted to, let's say, remove them, that it wouldn't be a problem. Remove them from she life. she chooses to deal with them. Remove <laughs> them from life, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think to she has been them. given, actually, the, the A-OK on this. Yeah, maybe I'm a being, being a bit harsh, but this constant need to reinforce how oh it's always about my choice with Reese you know (laughs) (laughs) yeah sing a new song (laughs) it's like oh he wants to throw me on the bed but wait it's my choice if I want to see my sisters first like oh come on (laughs) yeah 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 he's He's just showing you, like, (laughs) decency. He's not, you know, he's just being decent, like a normal person. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, he's meeting the base level, like. Exactly, exactly, yes, yes. Oh, he wants to hear your opinion. Wow, you know, that's just basic decency (laughs) at Mm -hmm. this point. Anyway, I digress. So we leave off with them wanting to go speak to the bone carver mm-hmm. to see if they can get him on their side and they're going to have a meeting with the rest of the high lords and we're going to go to the night court uh, court of nightmares so it seems like the action is about to pick up in the next 20 chapters so mm-hmm. 
Is there anything else that you'd like to mention that we didn't get to so far? No, not really. I think we're caught up. Not for me. I'm good. I think I also don't really have anything else. It feels like a very, you know, opening quarter of the book, like what Maria was saying. And I feel like Sarah J. Maas usually does this, like the second half of the book is usually where all the action is. So you kind of have to get through this log until you get to to that part. So in that case, I think we're going to leave it off here. And next time we'll be talking about chapters 21 to chapter 40 of A Court of Wings and Ruin. So thank you again, ladies, for joining me, and I'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. See you next time. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about us and the podcast, visit our website at readingmaterialspodcast.com. We also publish additional content, including blog posts around the world of books and our thoughts on the topic. If you'd like to get in touch, email us at reading.materials.podcast at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at readingmaterialspod. Until next time, keep reading. <laughs> Bless you, William. <laughs> Sorry for that. <laughs> so many people have commended your sneeze. Well, two, two other people. Maybe that's okay. Um. Sorry.